series of talks on the life of Joseph. This is the penultimate talk. The series is called Life As It Should Be. And it's such a modern story in many ways, the story of Joseph. If you've been with us these last few weeks, you've seen that we've, we've dealt with such modern issues of families and leadership and power, and influence, and going through hard times, and dealing with guilt, and so on and so forth. Last week we heard that the idea of a life being changed around by the gospel, this really is life. Joseph lives life in many ways as we do. And this morning we're going to be in chapter 45. If you want to turn to that chapter in your books, in your Bibles in Genesis, that's where we're going to be. But if you're new to the story or you're new to the Bible, let me catch you up with the story of Joseph as concisely as I can, because you've been in it for a few weeks just now. Joseph, really, I could summarize like this. Joseph has had the ultimate rags to riches story, or maybe to put it more literally, a riches to rags to riches to rags to riches story. It's kind of how Joseph's life has panned out. And I'm sure you might remember that his story began with his brothers turning against him. They wanted to kill him, but in the end they settled on selling him into slavery. And then from there, in Egypt, in slavery, Joseph experiences the most meteoric rise from a lowly slave all the way through to the prime minister, the second in command of the world's superpower at the time. Egypt is quite some story. And he ends up administering a uh, a famine crisis to help his nation through a natural disaster. And such is the famine that people from all over the known world are coming to Egypt to get grain to try and survive the famine. And 11 of those people that come from the Middle East, the known world at the time, to come and get grain are, of course, his brothers, who he hasn't seen for 20 plus years since the day they uh, sold him into slavery. And three weeks ago, we saw the messy way in which Joseph kind of dealt with that moment of being confronted suddenly out of the blue with the very men, his own flesh and blood, who had treated him so abhorrently. And he had to confront that moment, all this past hurts. And he, con- he dealt with it in a pretty messy way. There was anger there, and he threw them in jail, and he set them tests. But bit by bit, he begins to work through the situation. And so we arrive in chapter 45, kind of like the pinnacle almost of the story. It's the moment when uh, Joseph, who up to now has kept his identity secret the whole time, as he's been wrestling with all of this conflicting emotion. And now, in verse 1, unable to contain his emotion any longer, he can't keep his identity secret any longer, he's ready to reveal who he truly is to his brothers. So, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. But don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. 
God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, the brothers, and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother, my full brother, Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. (coughs) That is a scene kind of crackling with emotion, isn't it? It's a pretty raw scene. It's a a Joseph, if you like, a a wearing your heart on your sleeve moment, if ever there is one. You've got Joseph who has uh, distracted and deflected and disguised his way through these last few moments, but now everything comes out. It's a heart on your sleeve moment. And what I want us to see above all else this morning is that this is a scene of complete forgiveness. It's a scene of complete forgiveness. Joseph, Joseph's forgiveness, whilst formerly halting and awkward and difficult, is now total. It's complete. And that's what I want to concentrate on this morning, this theme, this one thing of complete forgiveness. And we're going to look at why for complete forgiveness is so important. What does it look like? Or to put it a different way, how can I know if I have completely forgiven? And thirdly, how is it possible? So why is complete forgiveness so important? What does complete forgiveness look like? And how is it possible to completely forgive? And so I want you now, just for a moment, just to consider, as I've already been talking, this is not a heavy thing, this is just for us to begin to think through. Are there people in your life where you think, do you know what, I think there's there's some work to be done, there's some forgiveness perhaps that hasn't taken place. But this might be the biggest thing of all for you. There's There's a thing maybe in your life where you know forgiveness has been so difficult might be just the stuff of the week, I don't know. But as I'm talking, is somebody or something popping into your mind where complete forgiveness, perhaps, is yet to come? I want to really help you this morning. I want to use the Bible, what God says to us, to really help us to engage in complete forgiveness. We talked this through, sung this morning about the freedom that comes when the Holy Spirit helps us and forgiveness brings such freedom. I want to help us this morning. Okay? So first of all, why is it important? Why is complete forgiveness even important? Because this is an important question to ask, isn't it? Because let's face it, forgiveness is kind of contrary to our nature. It's not what we instinctively want to do. At least it's not what I instinctively want to do. So I'm hoping, I'm I'm probably not the only person who occasionally experiences the odd moment of uh, like road-based antagonism. Is it only me? I'm I'm assuming that some of the uh, slightly guilty looks that are coming mean that I'm not the only person who occasionally experiences the odd moments of uh, of antagonism whilst on the roads or behind the wheels or behind the wheel of your car. And sure enough, the other day this happened to me. I was driving uh, on on, on the roads, quite heavy traffic, and someone did that really annoying thing where they just kind of cut straight in front of me and cut me up. They forgot to put the brakes on. So I kind of gave them a little flash on the lights and then basically plotted my revenge. That's pretty much what I do. I don't want to get back at this person. It's really annoying. So I then spent the next part of the journey kind of seeing if I could like nip in and out of the traffic and bit by bit could I catch them up because I wanted to, like, want to sort of get back at them. Pathetic, I know, but that was me. 
This is your pastor who is plotting revenge against those who cut him up on the roads. And I was getting closer and closer towards the offending car. And then I realized that the car had got stuck behind like a big lorry as we approached a roundabout. I thought, here's my moment, because there's a little gap on the inside lane. He's stuck behind the lorry. I can just get into the inside lane and scoot by. And I'm ashamed to say what a glorious moment it was when this guy was stuck behind the lorry, and I just sailed by, little look, through the roundabout, thanks very much. <laughs> it's true. Now, I'm probably not the only person who's experienced that, but more importantly, or perhaps more seriously, what I'm trying to say is that when somebody has offended us, to whatever degree, our natural response is not to immediately and graciously forgive. At least, mine is not. Our natural response tends to be we want to hurt back. We want to uh, respond. And so we can't this morning just leap straight into how do we completely forgive and how is it possible and why is it great? Because you might be sitting here thinking, I don't want, I don't want to forgive. Or you might be sitting here thinking, I, I, I kind of like to forgive, I just can't. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what was done to me. You don't know what this thing is. So you might be thinking, either I I don't want to forgive, or I I just can't forgive. So we need to kind of sit in that moment for a a little time before we get into how does it actually work. But it's interesting to me that the, the need for forgiveness for the person doing the forgiving is a concept very widely recognized. So just for example, this week I read an article in the Huffington Post that, that detailed a whole range of studies that have taken place both sides of the Atlantic, all of which conclude that forgiving is really beneficial for the person doing the forgiving. And all these articles are talking about that when somebody forgives, there are almost certain health benefits to the person doing the forgiving. So the studies talked about the links to a person's heart health, their blood pressure, their sleep quality, their mental health, their stress levels. All of those things are gradually being proven to have a tangible connection to when somebody chooses to forgive. And equally, when someone chooses to not forgive, the reverse effects can take place, like emotional, spiritual, physical effects even on a person. See, not forgiving hurts us, damages us, emotionally, physically, spiritually, far more than the person we're not forgiving. Nelson Mandela, who knew a little bit about forgiveness, he said, unforgiveness is basically like drinking poison, hoping the other person will drop dead. Unforgiveness hurts us far more. Forgiveness, lots of secular studies would prove, would actually benefit us. It frees us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now, Let me show you a bit more about what I mean, about why forgiveness is necessary. I want to show you a short uh, video clip. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Philomena. Um, I want to show you a short clip from the film Philomena. And just to kind of catch you up with the plot of the story as concisely as I can, the film is based upon a lady called Philomena. And when she was 19, living in Ireland, I think in the 1950s or 60s, age 19, not married, she became pregnant. Now, of course, in Ireland at that time, in that context, that was a hugely shameful thing to happen to her. And tragically, her parents uh, didn't love her. They abandoned her, and they sent her to a, like a workhouse, like a laundry workhouse run by nuns, like a convent laundry. And she was sent there, where she had to work for nothing. And after a couple of years, her little bo- baby boy was forcibly taken from her and given up for adoption, and she never saw him again. And the film is based upon a journalist who comes across this awful story and approaches Philomena and says, I want to help you track down your long-lost son. 
uh, film plays itself out as they try and find this long-lost son who she hasn't seen for 50 years. 50 years. And eventually they track him down. They find that he lived in America, but tragically they find that he's just passed away. But they also find out that because he was suffering from AIDS and he knew he was about to pass away, he did the reverse thing. He travelled back to Ireland, back to the same uh, workhouse, convent, nunnery place to see if he could make contact with his birth mother. And we discover that what happened was that he encountered one of the same nuns who had forcibly forced Philomena to give him up 50 years ago. And what this nun did was she continued her pretty unpleasant behavior, and she lied to him. And she said, actually, your mother didn't want you. That's why you were given up. She didn't want you. And actually, she's got rid of all of her addresses and details. We don't know who she is. We don't know where she was, and she didn't want you. None of which was true. And the son, Michael, actually died whilst he was in Ireland, and he was buried in this same convent, in this same nunnery. Just a tragic, tragic story. True story. So the clip we're about to see now is where Philomena, now in her 70s, I think, and this journalist arrive back at this nunnery, and they're going to confront this nun. And we're going to see how they both deal with the hurt and the pain and the anger that they're experiencing. Now remember, Martian, it's not their fault. They didn't know Anthony had a different name. One of them did. Sister Hildegard, it's all right, I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to ask you a question. I'm a friend of Philomena Lee. I saw you on a video with her son. Now, when you knew they were looking for each other, why did you keep them apart? We're going to call the guards unless you leave here immediately. I'm not leaving until she answers my question. I'm sorry. I think your whole manner is absolutely disgusting. I'll tell you what's disgusting is lying to a dying man. You could have given him a few precious moments with his mother before he passed away, but you chose not to. That's disgusting. Come on, Sister Hildegard, you don't have to listen to this. Not very Christian, is it? Wait! Let me tell you something. I have kept my vow of chastity my whole life. Self-denial and mortification of the flesh. That's what brings us closer to God. Sister Hildegard. Those girls have nobody to blame but themselves and their own carnal incontinence. Sister Hildegard, please. You mean they had sex? What's done is done. What do you expect us to do about it now? Nothing. There's nothing to be done or said. I found my son. That's what I came here for. Martin. Hang on, hang on. I'll tell you what you can do. Say sorry. How about that? Apologize. Stop trying to cover things up. Get out there and clear all the weeds and crap off the graves of the mothers and babies that died in childbirth. Their suffering was atonement for their sins. One of the mothers was 14 years old. Martin, that's enough. The Lord Jesus Christ will be my judge, not the likes of you. Really? Because I think if Jesus was here now, he'd tip you out of that wheelchair and you wouldn't get up and walk. Stop, stop. I'm sorry. 
I didn't want to bring him in here like this to make a scene. Why are you apologising? Anthony was dying of AIDS and she still wouldn't tell him about you. But it happened to me, not you. It's up to me what I do about it. It's my choice. So what, you're just going to do nothing? No. Sister Hildegard. I want you to know that I forgive you. What, just like that? It's not just like that. That's hard. That's hard for me. But I don't want to hate people. I don't want to be like you. Look at you. I'm angry. <sighs> Must be exhausting. Sister Claire, I wonder would you be so kind as to take me to my son's grave? I couldn't forgive you. There's a fascinating scene, and I appreciate it's a little bit near the knuckle perhaps, but I think it, it really helps us uh, in a couple of ways, in several ways, in fact. I think, first of all, it, it shows us a couple of things that we've already said. So it tells us that forgiveness is hard. You see that kind of written across her face. It's not easy, it's hard. And secondly, it also tells us something else we've already said, that forgiveness is good for us. It's good for us. Philomena, and I'm paraphrasing, says, I'm not going to enter the exhaustion of unforgiveness. I'm not going to let myself be just exhausted and eaten up by bitterness and hatred and all that comes for unforgiveness. She knows it's good for her. It enables her to be free. And it also, I think, shows us something else about why complete forgiveness is so important. You see, I would suggest that neither the journalist, who's an atheist in the, in the story, played by Steve Coogan, nor the nun, I would suggest that neither of them have understood the gospel. You see, Jesus is no more about tipping people out of wheelchairs as he is about looking to wreak vengeance on unsuspecting mothers. Neither of them have understood the gospel. The nun's Self-righteous, judgmental moralism is nothing to do with the gospel. But Philomena's forgiveness is everything to do with the gospel. You see, forgiveness is for our own good. It is for our own good. But much more importantly than that, forgiveness is at the core. It's at the center of the identity of who a Christian is. And Philomena, in her own uncertain, halting way, she does have a faith of some sort, has understood this. That to be a Christian is to be a completely forgiven person. That's who a Christian is. It's at the core of the identity of what it means to follow Christ. Complete forgiveness is what the Christian has received through Jesus. And contrary to what the nun seems to believe, it's, in, it's available to all who would receive forgiveness through Jesus. And I would suggest that if you look at the sweep and the story of the Bible, it's really clear that the kind of forgiveness that Philomena engages in and the kind of complete forgiveness that Joseph gives is intended to be part of the lifestyle of a Christian. 
because it's part of our identity. A Christian is a completely forgiven person. Complete forgiveness is possible because we've been completely forgiven. Jesus talked about it a lot in the Gospels, didn't he? Perhaps one of his most famous utterances when he taught those who wanted to follow him how to pray. He said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Or to put it a different way, forgive us our sins as in the same, sorry, forgive us our sins in the same way we forgive other people. It's challenging. That's what Jesus was instructing us to do, but it's also what he was enabling us to do. Complete forgiveness comes through being completely forgiven. And Paul summarizes it. You can see on the screen behind me the same thing. Paul says in Ephesians 4, later in the New Testament, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So I want to suggest that complete forgiveness, whilst being beneficial to us, is more than that. It's more than an optional benefit. It is at the core of what it means to be a Christian. Complete forgiveness comes from being completely forgiven. A Christian is somebody who has received the forgiveness of God, made possible through the work of God himself on the cross. Many of you know that. Some of you might not know that. That's the gospel. His death, my forgiveness. And so what I'm looking to help you do this morning is engage not just in why complete forgiveness is important for our own good and because it's who we are if we're a Christian, but also why it's possible I think you can only engage in complete forgiveness of the kind that Philomena hints at and Joseph really delivers if you know you've been completely forgiven. King's Church, I'm not urging you to try harder this morning. Come on, forgive. I'm urging you, gently, to understand the extent to which you have been completely forgiven. That's what defines who a Christian is in many ways. And when you know you've been completely forgiven, then you can begin to take these steps into complete forgiveness. I wonder who or what is still in your mind that I mentioned earlier before. We're going to have an opportunity to respond this morning. This could be a wonderful morning for you, like Philomena, to get free of all that unforgiveness does. And to engage in the core identity of what it means to be a Christian to revel in what you have been forgiven of and what you've been equipped to do. We'll respond together at the end. At which point you might say, sorry, just not there yet, Philip. I'm just not with you. Too difficult, too painful. I'm just new to church, and so I'm not even sure whether I need forgiveness, let alone whether anybody else does. That's fine. You're welcome to be with us and continue to be with us. We want to learn together. But for others of you, you might say, I do want to forgive. You might say, "I I think I have. I think I have kind of forgiven at least much of what I need to forgive. But my question to you still is, have you completely forgiven? Completely forgiven. You see, Joseph is so much more, and I hope you've seen this in this series, he's so much more than a human being that we can try and aspire to be like. What he's ultimately there for, what he ultimately does is he points us towards what Jesus is like and what Jesus has done. If we just have a series of talks and we try and be like Joseph then we kind of do fit into what the nun was saying. We try and do loads of things to make God happy and make ourselves proud. Joseph is telling us what Jesus is like and what Jesus has done. And Jesus has completely forgiven. 
So we're going to look at Joseph now, but look at him in the, with, with the lens of seeing what Jesus is like. Because Joseph's going to show us, really, nitty-gritty, what complete forgiveness looks like. I've tried to show you why it's important. And whether you're with me or not, let's engage now in what it actually looks like. Number two, what does complete forgiveness look like? And we're going to see some clues from Joseph's story. And these are clues. You can use these to kind of test, have I engaged in complete forgiveness? Number one, you don't need to speak about it. You don't need to tell everyone what was done or what happened. You see, look at the first thing Joseph does in verse one. He tells everyone else to leave the room. Do you see that? You see, when someone's hurt us, if you're anything like me, we might perhaps be willing to forgive, but we kind of like other people to know what the person did. Because the idea of that person who hurt us receiving maybe praise or good reputation kills us. Joseph doesn't do that. He asks everyone else to leave the room. Why does he do that? I was thinking about that. I think why he does that is because he doesn't want anyone in Egypt to know what his brothers did to him. Now, the officials hear Joseph weeping, but did you notice how Joseph then gathers the brothers close to him? So I don't think anybody outside, even though they've probably got the ear against the, the keyhole, can actually hear what Joseph is saying. You see, later in the passage, Joseph invites his brothers and his whole family, doesn't he, to come and live with him in Egypt. I think, I think Joseph knows he's a hero. He must know that. He's the guy that's rescued this biggest world superpower from potential famine. He's the second most important man in the whole nation. He's a big deal. And he knows if anyone in Egypt finds out what his brothers did to him, they're done for. They won't last a minute. It's part of knowing that you've completely forgiven is that you don't need to tell everyone else what was done to you. Now, of course, there are obviously exceptions to that. If you're experienced, if you're going through counselling or you're praying through something with a leader in the life of the church or maybe you respond this morning and you want to help somebody, you want to allow someone to help you, that's, that's all appropriate and good and that fruit comes from that. That's not what I'm saying. But it's fascinating that Joseph doesn't tell everyone. Not everyone needs to know. But he has, because he has no desire, he's got no desire for anyone else to think ill of his brothers. See how complete forgiveness is a bit different to a little bit of forgiveness. And when we see that that's what God's done for us, then I think we can begin to engage in this kind of forgiveness. Remember, we can completely forgive because we're completely forgiven. God knows everything about us, everything, including the things that you would be appalled if anybody else knew. He knows the whole lot, the whole lot. But the gospel tells us that he has forgiven the whole lot. And he doesn't need to tell anyone. What God has got on me would fill up this screen in size 10 font and all the screens in the university. And you would not see me for dust. And I'm guessing some of you might be in the same boat. He knows everything about me. And what does the Bible tell me? As far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed my transgressions. That means infinitely he has dismissed and forgotten about everything he's got on me and he doesn't need to tell anyone. And what are you? Tell him. Tell him. He knows. But we don't need 
lots of people to know. We don't even need other people to have a reputation damaged. Joseph engaged in complete forgiveness. My question is, have you? Maybe you're married. Just you know, some of the small things of life. You're married, and there's just a little grudge. Maybe it's just popped up between the two of you. Can you completely forgive now in your heart in this moment, asking God for His help to do so? And you won't tell your friends. You won't even tell your spouse. Just complete forgiveness in the moment. Or a colleague at work. You just want other people to know what they've done, and then you'll forgive. Can you completely forgive now? I tell you, you can if you're in Christ because then your identity is your one who has been completely forgiven and he'll help you do it. Or you might say, Philip, he's not mucking around with small things. You don't know how big this is for me. You don't know what was done or what I have to work through. I don't, but God does. And look at what Joseph went through. Look at what Joseph went through. And he engaged in complete forgiveness. Second clue that you have completely forgiven is that you don't make the person feel guilty. Verse five, what does Joseph say? Guys, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves. Why not? (laughs) Look at what they did to him. Why shouldn't they be distressed and angry with themselves for what they did? Isn't it remarkable? Joseph not only forgives them, he wants them to forgive themselves and not feel bad about it. See, this is complete forgiveness. It's something altogether different. His attitude is not what mine often is, which is, I forgive you, and I really hope you feel bad about it. It's not what Joseph is. His forgiveness is complete. You see, he knows they're about to go back to Canaan, doesn't he? Because he's told them to go back to Canaan and bring the whole family back to Egypt with them. So he knows the conversation that's going to have to play itself out with Jacob, doesn't he? He knows they're going to have to say, Dad, you're not going to believe it. Joseph's alive. He's alive, and you won't even believe this. He's the prime minister. And uh, that's because 22 years ago when we told you that he'd been killed by an animal, um, that was a lie. Actually, we, we sold him like an animal into slavery. And that's, that's why he's in Egypt. Joseph knows that conversation is coming. But he doesn't focus on that. It's remarkable. He says, guys, don't be distressed. I'm telling you, what happened actually, like God's used it for good. God's really used what you guys did and he's blessed me and he's blessed the whole nation and I'm now going to bless my own family. I can't wait to have all of you here in Egypt living with me. No mention of, you better tell dad what you did. And when you do, I hope you feel bad about it. But I forgive you. It's not where he is. It's remarkable. He doesn't even let them feel guilty. He shared a meal with them in the previous chapter. At the end of our passage, he he kisses and embraces his brother. We need to understand the Middle Eastern cultural significance of that. The sharing of the meal and and the embracing, that is a clear demonstration of total love and in this case, complete forgiveness. Well, you might say, well, Joseph's brothers did feel bad though. What about if the person doesn't feel guilty? Either because they don't know or because they don't care. Or because they're glad. Like the nun. She's pretty glad that she inflicted what she did. Can you completely forgive then? It's really hard. It's hard. Like just in my own very, very small way. I had this recently. I think I told you about it three weeks ago. When somebody who I respect hugely 
just said something to me. It's just words, but we know that words can really sting, can't they? Can't they? Words can really sting, and these words really stung. Oof. Straight to the, probably my main insecurities and vulnerable spots. Oh. And I kind of wanted to engage in forgiveness. But I realized I wanted to forgive the person together, not so they could know they were forgiven, but so they could know that they hurt me. Because they seemed to be oblivious of it. I wanted them to know. I wanted them to be sorry. Then I was going to forgive. If someone is not sorry, or they're just ignorant, and then you forgive, wow, that's amazing forgiveness. Why is it possible? Look at the cross. Look at the cross, guys. There was not forgiveness at the cross because people were sorry. We're going to see that in the Passion Week, in the Easter Week, on the Friday. The Passion of the Christ. Nobody was sorry. And the Bible tells us, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Nobody was sorry when Jesus was being mocked and humiliated. I'm not even talking about the physical pain that he went through. The humiliation. He saved others, can't even save himself. Remember that? What did Jesus say? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There was forgiveness at the cross and nobody was sorry. Nobody was repenting. Nobody felt bad. They were glad. And Jesus said, forgive them. And then he said, through faith, you are united in me. We're one. We're together. You can do it because I'm with you. Complete forgiveness does not wait for someone to be sorry. And nor to Joseph and nor to Jesus. Third clue. Third indication. I'll keep pushing a little bit. That complete forgiveness has taken place. The first two are that you don't need to tell everybody. And the second one is that you don't make the person feel guilty. The third one is that you don't withhold your blessing. Or you you actually bless the person. I bet you thought it didn't get any harder, and it does. (laughs) The third indication of complete forgiveness is that you bless the person. Look at Joseph again. And remember, look at Joseph, look at Jesus. Joseph's complete forgiveness includes a willingness to bless those who hurt him. Verse 10. You're going to live in the region of Goshen, my brothers, and be near me. I'm going to provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. And and, and otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Why doesn't he forgive them and just send them packing? (laughs) He doesn't. He says, I forgive you and I want to bless you. I want to provide for you. I want to see you flourish. It's complete forgiveness. Now, does that mean that complete forgiveness for all of us will always involve physically blessing the person or being reunited to the person? May well not. Let me be clear. Complete forgiveness does not necessarily include reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation is not appropriate. But it's the blessing that we want to get to. The best way to bless someone is to pray for them. It's the best way to bless someone That's why we're going to gather together this evening, partly to engage in prayer. We're going to pray for our friends in Istanbul who are church planting out there. They're not our our enemies, I hasten to add. But my point is the best way we can bless them is to pray for them. To pray for them, to pray for the gospel, to go to the corners of Istanbul and people to to come to know love, the love of Jesus and relationship with Jesus. We're going to pray because it's the best way to see people blessed and God's kingdom come. It's also the best way to bless your enemies. 
And remember Joseph? See Jesus? What did, jo- what did Jesus say? If you follow me, I want you to love and pray for your enemies, he said. Ooh, Jesus, keep raising the bar. Let me just tell you uh, one final story. It's the story of a couple called Pat uh, and Andrew Cardi. I think they might appear on the screen behind us. They, I, haven't, I haven't met them, but they seem um, a wonderful couple. They're from Northern Ireland in their 60s now, I think. And uh, man, their story is a, a, a tough one. So in 1981, their little girl, their little daughter Jennifer, was murdered horribly. She was only nine at the time in 1981. And uh, they didn't catch the murderer for a long, long time. Not until 2011 was a man called Robert Black convicted for the murder of their little girl and other little girls. And what they've been through, I don't even begin to imagine or put words on. But you can see some of their interviews are online. The reason why they're in the news again is because although Robert Black was convicted and sentenced in 2011, he died in prison just before, just after Christmas, I think. So once again, the spotlight kind of shone on them. How are they going to react? And I tell you what, their story is remarkable. You want to read it. You see, they are very clear that because they are Christians, very upfront about that, they keep saying, all, all that we're doing and saying is because we're Christians. We believe that we're forgiven people, completely forgiven people. And so as such, they would say, we've completely forgiven Robert Black. <laughs> Remarkable. And they said it in 2011, when he was convicted. And they said it again, just recently, when he died in prison. And do you know what? Robert Black has never, ever, ever once shown a single sign of remorse. Not once. And they know that. And they completely forgive. Because they know we're completely forgiven people. And they talk about what it is to to know the love and the peace and the comfort of God. But they also talk about what it is to be forgiven people themselves. But they go further than that. They also want to bless. They have wanted to bless Robert Black. You believe that? They say we prayed for him. We prayed for him that he might understand the gravity of his sin that he might be able to come to faith in Christ. And even what he did, because Jesus dealt with all sin, even the most abhorrent of sin, because he dealt with all of it, repentance to him would involve his forgiveness. And we want that for him. And they prayed for him. They sent him a Bible. We'd love to see you change your life around, they said. They had some very strong views about, about punishment and court. They're not in any way denying the horror of what was done, how justice must be paid. Absolutely not. But they have gone in their complete forgiveness. They have engaged in the process of trying to bless him. And tragically, he ignored all of their overtures. But they didn't stop forgiving. They didn't stop trying to bless. And you look at them now, and they're a couple who are free. Remember the first point? It's good for you. You get free. They knew what Philomena knew. Stew on this. Get eaten up by this. Your life just disintegrates. Number two, they also knew that because they are forgiven people, Their forgiver is both commanding and enabling them to enter into the forgiveness space, just like he did on the cross when no one was sorry. And thirdly, they also know they've got an opportunity to glorify Jesus. They have talked about what happened. Of course they have, because the spotlight's been on them in the media. But they've talked about it because there's an opportunity to glorify God. Let me read you what what someone said. I just saw this yesterday. This is a, a man, I don't really know who he is, other than he runs a, um, a media communications company. 
and he seems pretty kind of antagonistic to uh, the claims of the gospel. But he's interested in media and communication, so he came across one of their interviews recently. I want to read you what he, what he said. He said they also spoke about their Christian faith, referring to the Cardis. In this country, in general, people who volunteer their faith fail to realize how thoroughly irritating they're being and how smug and patronizing they sound. They often repel ten times as many people as they attract, yet appear to convince themselves they're doing God's work. Ouch. Such evangelicals, I fear, kid nobody but themselves. But Mr. and Mrs. Cardi showed how it should be done. Without a smidgen of smugness, without any hint of self-righteousness, they described how their belief in God had helped, them support, had helped support them for three decades. Their simple, dignified statement was the single best advertisement for Christianity I can remember. They glorify God. They saw the opportunity. Can you get that? They saw the opportunity of forgiveness. Not just that it was good for them, not just that it's who they are, but also the opportunity to glorify God. That people who wouldn't give the claim to the gospel a second thought, in fact, they dismissed them as unhelpful, damaging. This guy could not help but look at the situation and say, how is that possible? That's what complete forgiveness can do. It frees you. It's a fitting enactment of who you are and what's been done for you if you're in Christ. And it's an opportunity to show Jesus for the beautiful, wonderful friend and saviour and forgiving God that he is. It's complete forgiveness. I wonder who that person is or who that thing is in your mind that I mentioned before. I wonder whether it's gone maybe because you've realised, yeah, I have completely forgiven. Or whether it's kind of grown because you realise I haven't. I want to encourage you to respond this morning. In fact, Daryl, could you guys come and join me now? I want to encourage you to, to nail it right this morning. Just like Philomena did in the clip. She had a moment, didn't she? And she nailed it. I'm not going to let this exhaust me. I forgive. She had a moment. This is who I am, a forgiven person. I forgive. The Cardi's had a moment again and again and again. I'm not going to let this exhaust me. This is who I am. I'm a forgiven person and I want to glorify Jesus through it. Do that this morning. And do it not because you have to, but because you get to. Do you get the difference? If you are in Christ this morning, you're with him and he will help you do what he did for you. Engage in complete forgiveness. You will get free. You will step into more maturity of following him and you'll make him look glorious and wonderful even if you don't tell another soul. So what I want to do is invite the prayer team to come down uh, to my left down here. That's all right, you guys. We're going to play a couple of songs. And I would really encourage you just to nail this in these couple of songs that we sing. You might feel that it could be really helpful for you to stand with somebody. You might tell them. Remember, you might not. That's not the big deal. But it could be really helpful to stand with someone and say, I really want to nail this today. Can you pray with me that I engage in complete forgiveness so that I get free and I walk in the good of who that I am and I glorify God? And you may or may not need to disclose things. That's entirely up to you. Or it may be in the quiet of your heart as you're standing or sitting here with the person next to you. But I do think there's something very special when you make a decision to kind of get out of your seat and walk down and say something. Now, why is that? Because you remember. Do you see the difference? You remember it. Because I'm telling you, in a few days, in a few weeks, you'll need to forgive again, just like the Cardis. 
35 years. And when that moment comes of complete forgiveness dealing again, you need to know, I nailed it that moment. I nailed it in that moment. I stood in front of God with friends or without friends, and I nailed it. I have completely forgiven. Because the devil would love to tempt you and say, you haven't. Get some more bitterness back in. You say, no, I have. So I want to encourage you to respond by, by coming down and getting prayer. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. Um, I can't decide what the best song to sing would be, but I think I want to go with that song that you guys are singing, uh, Where the Spirit of the Lord Is. Now, we sang that with some gusto. And you're thinking, Philip, why are you choosing like an upbeat? Because this is where freedom is. So we're going to sing and worship with passion and with gusto because this is where freedom is. Freedom is in the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus. And he will help you to get free. He will help you to follow him with more authenticity and maturity. And he'll help you to glorify him. So let's stand. Is that okay, guys? And as as I'm praying... As I'm praying, you can start walking down. You have to wait. There's no liturgy here. You can start walking down. You can get prayer. You can grab the person next to you. But I'm encouraging you to nail it in these moments now. As I'm praying, you can, you can just start walking straight away. And then we'll start singing. Jason will help us to respond as we go through. Lord Jesus, we say that if you have won us to faith in you, if we've said that, yeah, that moment on the cross was for me, that resurrection was for me, If we're in you, Jesus, then we recognize that we're forgiven people and we want to forgive freely as a result. But we say it's hard. And so we say, Spirit, as we sing right now, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, would you help us to engage in complete forgiveness? You can walk down now if you want to. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to engage in complete forgiveness so that we get free, so that we follow you with increasing maturity? And that your name is glorified. I'm convinced there's more people who need to respond. I know it's hard. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. There's freedom to be won, there's freedom to be had you, for the situation, for your walk and discipleship of Jesus. God's going to help you. He's going to delight in it. 